Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to episode 147 of Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of, Beyond the Rut. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and on this episode, we have Dan Cockrell, former vice president for Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom. That's right. He just retired at the very tail end of 2017, and he's begun his career as a keynote speaker and executive coach. So we managed to get an interview with him because of our good friends, Jody Mayberry and his dad, Lee Cockrell. You may have heard both of those folks interviewed on our show many, many years ago. We have Dan sharing with us some of the lessons learned in leadership while he worked with Walt Disney World, the Disney company, for almost 27 years. That's right. He began his career right out of college, working in Disneyland Paris as an assistant manager, and he's worked his way up. Anyway, sit back and relax unless you're driving and keep your head on a swivel as we discuss with Dan his leadership lessons learned while working with Disney. Here we go. All right. Hey, Dan, glad to have you with us. How are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me on, Jerry. I was excited to be here. Oh, man. we're, so, we're I'm, I'm saying we because I'm still used to Brandon being here, but um, he is recovering. So uh, I'm, well, we're actually still both glad to have you on the show. And uh, yeah, here we, here we go. This is going to be neat. Uh, and for, for you listening, uh, this is Dan Cockrell. You probably already heard me talk about him during the, the intro. Uh, but again, just uh, left Walt Disney World after a 27-year career. We're going to be chatting about him and uh, some of the advice he's got and where uh, he can help you or your company. Uh, so, Dan, I when I was doing my homework and, and my research, I, I realized we have some similarities in our lives. Um, so your, your dad, like he, he got out of high school, kind of gave college a try, but really all of his experience and knowledge has come through work. Uh, and he did that with Walt Disney Company. Uh, and then my dad, um, similarly in the sense of barely got out of high school, gave college a shot, realized now, and then he, he uh, actually had a 20-year career with the U.S. Army, um, which your dad actually served in. Uh, he did. He had yeah. a, uh, uh, some basic training. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and they both actually served in uh, probably the worst jobs you could have in the Army. Uh, I believe your dad was a cook. My dad was a military cook. policeman. Uh, the worst hours in the U.S. Army is those two fields right there. Um, anyway, uh, both guys send their boys off to college, boys graduate from college, and uh, kind of follow in their footsteps. So you went and worked for Disney Company, and I went into the Army, which my dad said, don't ever do. Um, and then while in the Army, this is kind of the neat thing, so the, the trifecta, uh, it sounds like you met Valerie, your wife, in the Army. Or not, no, wait, I got that story mixed up. You met her in Disney. I met my wife while in the army. She was serving also. And I was like, Hey, that's, that's kind of a parallel there. I mean, two completely different career fields and paths. However, uh, the, the template there was kind of the same. So anyway, I just thought I'd point that out there. I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add to that or not. No, you know, that, that's funny. I think, um, I think it's the same in the military as it is in a lot of companies. You spend lots of time at work. And so that's where most of your social life comes also. 
And uh, yeah, my wife and I met at Disney. And I, I know you you kind of let it slip and said you met in the Army. I'll tell you, we have lots of uh, military people work at Disney and visit Disney. And they see the sort of military precision behind all the magic that, to make that place work. Oh, so yeah. there, are, there are a lot of similarities between, I think, military and a, a company like Disney where we have – um, you know, we're, we're doing, we're on a mission and we have very specific things we have to get done every day. Lots of checklists, lots of procedures. And then we let people go out and, you know, fight the good fight. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's very similar. Yes. Uh, I know, uh, safety actually is like a top priority for Disney. A lot of people don't know that they think it's all about the show and, uh, the, the presentation and, and immersing you in this world. And then I, I learned uh, from a book actually from the Disney Institute, be our guest that actually of those four pillars that you have around that customer experience or, or guest experience, safety was number one in the military. It's the same thing. You think it's about shooting your weapon or being physically fit, but really it comes down to safety first. And, uh, but yeah, lots of time spent there. In fact, my wife and I were buddied up because I had just come from a deployment in Kosovo and they said, Hey, you got uh, field experience that she doesn't have. She's fresh out of um, basic training in AIT. Uh, why don't you go ahead and share with her the things that you learned and, and she listened and after a while, I was like, Hey, she's kind of cute. And she keeps asking me more questions. She's awesome. And, and then, you know, after that, I'm like, she's cute. Too bad I'm like her mentor, <laughs> even though like, right. it wasn't a reporting relationship. It was a peer relationship. And then after like three months, I worked up the courage, asked her out. And her first response was, well, what took you so long? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently she'd been dropping hints for three months. Didn't pick up on a single one, but, uh, been married 17 years. That's great. Yeah, we uh we men are not always totally perceptive, but we get there eventually. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you guys have been married uh how long now? Uh let me see. April will be uh 26 years for us. Okay. Cool. We're right behind. Yeah. Almost almost a decade, but and you've got uh three kids uh and two of them are out of the house and the third one yeah, that's right. Our oldest, uh, Julian, uh, actually he turns uh 23 on September 2nd. So he's uh tomorrow. And uh, he's uh, went to University of Miami and studied uh, engineering. And so he's on the job search right now. And our daughter, Margot is a junior out at CU Boulder in Colorado, okay. where uh, my wife and I will be relocating in the spring. We're, we're selling our house and we're going to move out there and rent an apartment for a year and see where that takes us. And then we have our youngest son, Tristan, who's a senior in high school. So we are um, on the verge of becoming empty nesters and ready to uh, go on adventures together. There you go. Now, are any of them uh, thinking about coming to Disney to carry on that? <laughs> I don't know if you call it a tradition yet or not. But <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's funny because uh, Julian's worked there multiple times. Uh, Margot and Julian both worked in uh, horticulture when they were in high school. Oh, they have okay. a minor program, and you have to be there at 6 o'clock every morning. And if you don't have your name tag on, they tell you just to go home. And if you're late, just go home. So they learned a lot about discipline uh, they said, you know, at Disney, they don't nag you. They just tell you to go home and they don't pay you. And I said, yeah, you got to follow the rules. <laughs> so that was it, it really taught them a lot that summer. And then Margot sold ice cream one summer at the Magic Kingdom. And Julian was in uh, safety engineering for one summer. And he actually waited tables in the uh, French Pavilion at the Chefs de France restaurant uh, since he has dual nationality because my wife – uh, they hired him, and he was a server and uh, for a summer. So they, the only one who hasn't worked there yet is Tristan, and uh, we'll we'll figure something out. We got to make sure we check all the boxes and get him a little Disney experience also. Yeah. He's got one school year left before that happens, right? <laughs> That's right. And Valerie actually is a, a facilitator, a contract facilitator for Disney Institute. So she she, she teaches leadership a few times a year uh, to outside companies through her facilitation. Oh, so we're, we we all got our hands in the Disney pot here. There you go. Yeah. And I, I've learned a trend among anybody who's 
considered to have been successful in their, their careers. Uh, one of the key things I've noticed is that they worked somewhere at a younger age. So as a teenager or younger, and, uh, I know that was true for your dad and it sounds like it's true for your kids. Uh, what kind of work did you do when you were a teenager? Yeah. So I, uh, I mowed lawns, uh, when I was, uh, for my neighbors. And then as I got older, um, I worked at, uh, I went down actually to Oklahoma, uh, for a couple summers and worked on uh, a ranch, uh, who was, uh, I, I lived at my grandmother's house and worked on a ranch for Johnny Crutchfield. He was a, uh, uh, state senator later on, but a uh, great guy. And so I worked on his ranch. And what I what I realized on ranches, you just move stuff around. We'd, <laughs> we'd have all these big uh, metal pipes on one end of the ranch, and he'd say, "All right, we got to get all these pipes and move them to the other side." And I never really asked why, but you know, we got paid to do it. Um, so I did that for summer. I worked in a toy store uh, in high school, and then in college, I waited tables in Ocean City, Maryland, for a summer with my my buddies. I worked on the college program. Uh, when I was a sophomore in college, I worked for a uh, Shearson Lehman bank my junior year and, uh, realized that I didn't want to work in a bank. I think, you know, so everyone is so concerned with having jobs that they love. And, and, and I, I think it's great just to get experiences and some of them are going to be great. Some of them are going to be good and some of them are going to be bad, but that's what life is about is getting experiences and you get to cross things off. And if you don't do it, you'll never know. And so I, you know, there's just, you got to align your talents with what you're, what you're working on. But my, my parents really, um, encouraged me to work when I was growing up and I've read the same articles that, you know, when kids at work at a younger age, they tend to be more successful. And I think that's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. They learn about the value of money. They learn about the value of discipline and the fact that you need to follow the rules and they learn about consequences. And so I think it is very valuable and it, you know, it really builds them a sense of worth. You know, I know when they came home with their first paychecks, they were really proud of themselves. It's like, I earned this. You know, I made this money myself. And you could see the pride on their face. Yeah. My son uh, just got his first part-time job uh, right before summer started. First paycheck, he took my wife out to lunch, uh, which then made me very sad because he didn't take me out to lunch. But anyway, <laughs> just seeing the pride in his face, that, that first paycheck direct depositing into his bank account. Uh, yeah, so I... Um, yeah, I, I just I've seen it firsthand now with with teenagers myself. Well, I'll tell you, the only worst thing about that could have been is he took you to lunch and not your wife. You wouldn't want that. That's not yeah. a good situation. Yeah. So he made the right decision, yeah. I think. Somehow I'd wind up in the doghouse on that decision. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I want to share a little tip. Also, yeah. I I, I um, I'm on the board of Junior Achievement, and we go into we get volunteers to go into uh, schools, elementary and high schools, to teach kids about financial literacy and entrepreneurship and leadership. And I've been on the board for about 14 years now. And I learn a lot from those classes. And I actually, when our kids started working when they were 16, I opened up a Roth IRA, an individual retirement account for them. And I put a little bit of money in there every year because if, if a kid has earned income, they can have a retirement account. And um, no matter how young they are, if you have a 12-year-old who's mowing your lawn, as long as you do a receipt, you pay them and you keep that record. If you get audited, you can pay them and you can match what they're uh, what they make. And so I figured, what's the one thing my kids have I don't have? And they have time. So at 16 years old, when you have a few hundred dollars in your retirement account and it's going to build over 50 years and you're going to add it to it later, it's a, it's a, it's, it's one of those things where you say, what, what do I wish I could have done when I was 16? And that's one of the things I think it's a, a big deal. If you can find a couple hundred dollars, that compounding interest is, makes a big difference. 
and they don't imagine they're ever going to be 70 years old, but they will be someday. Oh, yeah. And this episode just became mandatory listening for my kids. So thank you. <laughs> sure. Like, all that crazy stuff you hear your dad say, this guy. Someone else life. believes it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's done something with his life. So, ah. Because <laughs> <laughs> dad is never smart. So other people. No, that's, gotta, gotta that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. So um, let's see. Shifting gears a little bit. So you, you had 27 years working at Walt Disney World. Uh, your last uh, three years you spent as the vice president of Magic Kingdom, which is my wife's favorite park of the parks, by the way. Uh, so now you've shifted gears. You've launched a new uh company. Uh, tell us more about that, the, the speaking, the coaching, and, and so on. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Yeah, you know my uh, my dad has really helped me with that. He, uh, you know, he worked for Marriott for 16 years. Then he came to Disney, and he was there for 16 years before he retired back in 2006. And when he retired, you know, I was wondering what he was going to do because he's got a lot of energy and he's got lots to. He loves interacting with people, so he went out and hired a 24 year old consultant to help him learn about the internet and. Uh, podcasting and blogging and tweeting. And uh, so over the past 12 years, he's built a pretty good business with speaking. He's written some books and, and podcasts. So when I was considering um, leaving Disney, you know, my wife and I started chatting about it and we figured, all right, we've always been up for traveling and doing different things. And she, you know, she asked me, do you want to ride out the next five or six years at Disney before you retire? Or do you want to go do something totally differently. So we talked about it for a long time and it was a big decision. You know, after 27 years at Disney, you really get emotionally connected to that place. And it's, uh, you're, that's who you are. So you always ask that question, you know, could I make it on the outside? Would anyone care about what I have to, what I have to say, but he's given me some great mentorship and tips on how to kind of think about it. And so I got a, a website up and running and started uh, making contact with people I knew and, um, you know, people are interested. They want to hear about Disney. They want to hear about the approach we take to how we build a culture there that um, really thrives to uh, serve guests. And a lot of people ask me, you know, did you spend a lot of time with guests at Disney? I said, well, I was concerned about guests, but I spent all my time with the cast members because they're the ones delivering the experience. And it's kind of counterintuitive. People think you're focused on guests all the time. And I said, well, I'm just one person. I want to make sure the 12,000 cast members were focused on the guests. So if I take care of them, they'll take care of the guests. And that's just human nature. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I struck out now to uh, into the into the I'll call it the real world. And, um, yeah, I'm doing keynote speeches. Uh, a lot of companies are interested on, um, I have a, a keynote called, uh, how is the weather in your kingdom? And the idea is that, you know, every kingdom, how you ever, however you define your kingdom, it may be your house. It may be where you work. It may be your church, wherever you gather with other people could be a kingdom you live in and you can impact and, and you can influence the weather. The weather is the culture and the way you interact with people, the way you respect people, 
the way you talk to people and treat people and build trust really creates an environment. And when you have the right environment, people tend to thrive and they do things unexpected that you don't even know they're going to do. And so over time, we've realized at Disney that you create a great environment for people. Then you train them. You get everyone to 80% because you train them well and you pick the right people in the jobs. But then if you create a great environment where they feel valued, there's another 20%, that discretionary effort that comes out. And that's where the magic happens. And so uh, that's what I'm trying to – I have a story to tell. And as I'm working with companies, I'm working with um, a a hotel company in Croatia uh, on some of their organizational design and training and uh, uh, their culture. And uh, it just comes in. Someone said, you know, you're going to have to get used to the lumpiness. You know, the paycheck doesn't come every Thursday. The jobs, no, you know, no day is the same. And it wasn't at Disney, but, um, you know, you're just, you'll, you'll go for a week and be thinking all, you know, all the time. And then also the next week you get five emails from people who are interested in doing something. So you're always wondering where that next, that next gig is going to come from. Oh yeah. Um, I've, I've heard that having a budget is so important because when you get the, that, uh, what do you call it? That deluge of, of revenue in from all the efforts that you've been making, all the, all the speaking engagements and so on, the consulting uh, gigs, uh, you get that big burst of money. And a lot of folks, if they don't have a plan for how to disperse that, they wind up blowing it all as quickly as they got it, you know, which is like within the week or two. And then it's, it's a stretch for the next three or four months as they scramble to get more stuff in. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's, um, we, we, we always were, decent at budgeting, but my wife and I are really great now at budgeting because, you know, to your, a budget is revenue and costs. And we have to understand both sides of that. And so we know to the penny how much we're spending on everything else. And there's some great apps out there. I mean, there's, you know, there's Quicken, uh, there's a uh, mint, there's uh there's, there's some great ones that are free and you can, I think they're pretty secure and they'll, you just hook your bank and your credit cards up and it'll track you and tell you how much you're spending. And so we have a good idea because I think a lot of people don't know of how much am I spending on things? How much am I making? Am I in a, am I in a deficit or not? And do I need to think about, you know, making a life change? Um, you know, we're downsizing. We have a house that we've grazed our kids in and we've decided you know what? We want more experiences in life. We don't need more things. And by doing that, we can actually maximize our travel opportunities and other things. But we're just going to have to live – well, we'll live in an apartment and, and make that trade off and have less stuff to take care of and not have a lawn and not have a – you know, worry about the air conditioning unit. And so I think we're a little bit – I think a lot of people do this in a simplification mode uh, where you can sort of peel away some of the things in your life and just simplify so you can really enjoy things. Yeah. I love that. I, I know somebody right now uh, – well, I know a lot of somebody's right now. Uh, but this one guy in particular just jumped out in my mind when you were talking. Um, he's probably at a stage in his life where he could and should probably simplify, <laughs> yet he's holding on to the house. He's holding on to the two or three cars. He, you know, His garage is filled with stuff. And uh, every time we hear him complain about his financial status, and he's in business for himself. He's been in business for himself for many years, yet he's had the same struggle the whole time. And it is because when he left – uh, corporate life, he never transitioned to lifestyle or uh, got him through the season, so to speak. Uh, so I just, I love that you pointed out that you yourself are, are simplifying things. You're like, we don't need the big house anymore. We don't need this anymore. Let's, let's get rid of that and let's focus on the quality of life. So uh, he, I'm going to make sure he hears this somehow without getting mad at me. I'll figure out a way. Because <laughs> <laughs> he won't listen to us either. Um, well, there's something very liberating about that. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a secret hoarder. I mean, I'll keep things, you know, my wife will say, Hey, this t-shirt has got a big hole in it. No, no. I went to that concert and it's got these memories. And so we've come to a, an agreement. 
I said, you can get rid of anything I own. Just make sure I'm not home when it happens and, and I'll never, <laughs> I'll never miss it, but I, I won't have to go through the morning of that object going out of my life. But it is, uh, it's definitely liberating to focus on the experiences more than the, the things. Yeah. I, I have no idea of the things my wife has thrown away over the last 17 years. So, uh, chances are I probably didn't eat them after all. So <laughs> that's right. Oh, uh, so. I, I was looking through your list of topics that you cover on your website and, and looking at the individual, uh, th- yeah, just, and if you're listening to this right now, you, you got to go check out dancockrell.com and, and see what topics he does cover on his keynotes, uh, areas that he can coach you in and, and consult with you on. Um, but the two things that jumped out on me, uh, around, you know, the self, the, the individual person, uh, the first one was emotional intelligence. I think you have that at the very top. Yes. Yeah. Uh, tell us more about that. Like, why is emotional intelligence so important uh, as an individual? Yeah. Well, just to 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 get into that, I um I kind of use a virtual scorecard in my mind to measure my success, and uh, I um I ask people when I do speeches about you know what do you what do you think is most important to me in my life that I have to, I pay attention to first, and invariably, and it's usually you know, and it I'm not going to say it's the wrong answer, but people say, well, it's your family, of course, you know, because that's you know it's not work. It must be your family. And I say, well, you know what? That's, it's a great, it's a great uh, response, but it's not my family. My family's second. I'm number one. And uh, it's counterintuitive because we're all supposed to sacrifice ourselves for each other and that kind of thing. But the reality is um, if you don't take care of yourself, uh, you, you, won't, you won't be able to be a um, high performer with your family or with your job or anything else you want to do. And so you really got to take care of yourself. So uh, the idea that um, – you know, and and there's a laundry list of things. You know, you physically have to be in a good place, and that includes getting enough sleep, hydrating, eating right, uh, exercising, and you can everyone can define how much of that they want to do. But those have real impacts on your ability to perform, and your your attitude, and your um, your mood, and your feelings. And so um, that's an important area. So I always tell people focus on yourself first. And then once you're in a good place, then you can focus on – and once again, it, it may be your your faith, your church, your family. And I, I don't tell people what order they should put things in. Um, and then number three for me, so it's self, family, and, and career. And so every week I just realize I have to um, I have to sacrifice one for the other. If I get up early in the morning and go work out, maybe I won't be home to go walk the dog with my wife. And so we didn't spend time together. That's a sacrifice. It's a trade-off I made. Um, if I go ahead and – um, go do a speech, but I don't have time in the morning to take a run, then I'm trading that off. And so it really covers the gamut. And this emotional intelligence piece, you know, we talked about being physically fit. Um, there's an idea also to be, you know, mentally fit and be in a good place where you understand yourself and you have a sense of confidence. You know what your values are. Uh, you know how to interact with others. And uh, I, you know, getting tuned in to how you see the world. There's a, a great, uh, if you Google the Johari window, and I don't want to get too into psychology, but it, the Johari window talks about, uh, it's a, it's a four quadrant grid and it just covers what people know about you and don't know about you and what you know about yourself and you don't know about yourself. And obviously there's a, there, one of the grids is people that know things about you, but you don't know about yourself and that's your blind spot. Those are the things that you say and do that, um, you know, when you're, when you get home and your wife says, uh, hi, how are you? And you say, good. And they said, do you notice anything different? And you're like, oh boy, <laughs> I, I should, but I don't. And it's either 
you know, there's a, something's different in the house or her hair or something, but it's that idea that you really have to be tuned in to other people's feelings and other people. Um, they're always giving you signals, verbal and nonverbal. And a lot of times they're very subtle and you don't pick up on them and it can cause issues. So this idea of emotional intelligence is if you can really know yourself, uh, well, um, and be, and be comfortable with yourself, then you can really start to be curious about others and be more open-minded, understand why they get mad or understand why, what drives them to be happy and put yourself in their shoes. And, um, some people do it naturally and some people it can be learned, but you really got to focus on it. And I've learned over time is, uh, just when I meet people, Hey, what's your background? Uh, where are you from? What, uh, I, if I can just, um, discipline myself to ask them a bunch of questions and be curious about them and keep the conversation away from me and on them. I find at the end of the the dialogue that I really know a lot about them and I can really build on that moving forward. Um, and then, you know, the, the other piece of emotional intelligence is when you're reacting to something, when someone says something or you see something on TV and you can feel yourself reacting instead of reacting, stop for a moment and say, okay, why am I reacting this way? Why am I getting angry? Why do I think this isn't right? And a lot of times you say, well, because what they're saying is not fair. It's not fair about what they're saying. That's why I'm reacting. And that's fine. It's, and, and then just keep going with your reaction. But I think sometimes is that idea that your brain takes in information and you have a choice of how to react. And some people don't realize that. They don't realize they have a choice of how to react to a situation. And it's just a little bit about self-discipline. Nice. Uh, you mentioned the Johari window and that there are parts of our lives, the blind spots, where – People know this about us because they see it in our behaviors and so on, yet we're unaware of that. Uh, what are some ways that we can find out what those are? And that way we, because once we know, we can actually do something about it. But. Yeah, I think um, a few ways. And it's, it's not easy, but I'll tell you if you can find uh, someone you trust, uh, either at work or at home or wherever you spend time, and tell them that you are really trying to uh, make improvements and that if they have feedback for you, on how you handle a situation, uh, that you'd like that and there won't be any repercussions and you really want the feedback. And, um, you know, we ask for it, but then if we really want it, it's a whole nother story. So you just got to decide, do you really want to improve or do you just want to keep doing what you've always done and just say, you know, too bad for everyone else. Um, and it's not to, not to try to adjust yourself to be perfect for everyone else, but if you can improve how you interact with people, you'll get better results. So I think finding some trusted advisors, who can talk to you. And, and, and I've, I've had that moment in meetings where I'll handle an issue and afterwards I'll go talk to one of the people that I'm, I trust and say, look, I think I came across maybe a little bit harsh. Did I or not? What do you think? And sometimes I'm right. And sometimes I, they say, no, it was perfect. The way you, you handled it, everyone knows exactly where you stand on the issue. There aren't any issues. And so, cause you're not always sure. Cause that's what self-awareness is about. You're not sure. Yeah. So I think finding people to help you, um, being curious, once again, asking questions, um, you can, a lot of times you can work in a job and, um, you know, you're, you you don't get a lot of feedback and you can say, well, I guess I'm doing great. And we're all just going to decide no news is good news. Um, I don't think that's a good way to, to, to operate. I always, when I'm working with or for someone, I always say, Hey, is there anything I could improve upon on this project? Um, even when I'm doing keynotes, I always say, Hey, if you're going to do a survey at the end, I'd love to hear the feedback from the group. So I know where I can focus on next time around. Um, and so you just got to be, you have to be open to self-improvement and, uh, it's an ego thing. So a lot of people like to think everything's fine. And, um, I, you know, you, some of us suffer from a little lack of self-confidence. You don't want to know what things are wrong, but, uh, 
it's how you get better. It's how you get better in sports. It's how you get better intellectually. You got to open yourself up to criticism and feedback. And um, at times I have a thin skin and I don't want to hear it, but I realize I need it. And so you just got to overcome that. So when you're getting this feedback, this is not the time to rebuttal and tell them why they're wrong about their feedback. No. When someone gives you feedback, whether you think they're right or not, when they're done, you, you process it and you say two words, thank you. Because if you react, you're never going to get it again. Yes. And, uh, and, and then you can question their motives. Are they saying this because they don't like me? But that's why you got to get the tr- the people that you have confidence in and you trust. And um, it's uh, it, it goes a long way. And over time, all of a sudden, the situations that keep coming up over and over again, you struggle with, all of a sudden, you, you, re- you react to them differently because you're learning how to react differently. And once again, you're getting different results. Mm-hmm. You know, they talked about the uh, – there's that quote, um, the uh, – what the idea of insanity is uh, keep doing the same thing and expect different results, something yes. like that. Yeah. You got to change. You got to change the formula and try new things and say things that aren't comfortable that you haven't done before and have those moments and, and get uncomfortable. And uh, once you do that, then it becomes habit and now you can deal with you know, new things. Yeah. And it takes courage, I think, to, to be open to that um, vulnerability in a sense because you're asking people to give you – input on your shortcomings as opposed to, yeah, just tell me how good I am. Just keep coming. Uh, right. So yeah. And, and I found that working at Disney, you know, when you're the vice president of magic kingdom, you don't have people walking up to you every day telling you what you're doing wrong. Everyone seems to be really nice and they smile and you know, you're like, wow, I'm a really popular guy. It's like, well, no, you're not necessarily a popular guy. <laughs> your title's the vice president of magic kingdom. And so you can't, you can't get confused with how you're being treated because of the position you're in versus how you're being treated of who you are. And I think some people confuse those two things and, uh, you have to make sure that, um, you're, you're holding yourself accountable and doing the right things. And sometimes it's unpopular decisions. You're not there to be popular. You're there to get, you know, the mission, whatever the mission of your company is and the mission of your, where you're working, you're responsible to get there, but you have to do it with respect and, uh, and so you, you got to – it is easy sometimes to let you – know, um, uh, if you don't hear something or you get a lot of compliments, you get addicted to that. And you're like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm great. And you got to break away and know, okay, there's something I'm not doing right. And if I don't know what it is, it's a problem because it's, it's out there. Everyone, know, everyone else knows except me. You know, the, the emperor has no clothes, right? Yes. Everyone knows it, but no one says anything. <laughs> I heard a lot of times when I was in the army, I, I was a sergeant in the army as a medical sergeant. And one of the things they always grilled into us was your measure of leadership has nothing to do what hap- with what happens while you're there present telling everybody what to do. Uh, your true measure of leadership is what happens with your team when we pull you out and have you go do something else or what happens. And of course the translation is what happened. Your, your measure of leadership is, um, what your team does after you've been shot and killed in combat. <laughs> that, that's there you go. a morbid, darker side of that message. Uh, so I, I found that early on, uh, when I got promoted to that position, I, I would get sent off to these random tasks. And the first few times my team completely fell apart. Like they like scattered off to the four winds, didn't get their mission done. And then I realized, okay, I set them up for failure because they didn't have the tools they needed. They didn't have the trust in me to have the, you know, to, to utilize the tools that they had. Um, so really great hearing you talk about that importance of taking care of you, having that self-awareness to, to build those relationships. Um, cause that ties into building those great teams. Cause I, I noticed another thing on your topics page is, um, being proactive about managing those relationships. Uh, how, how does that play a role in the effectiveness of your team? Yeah. So we, we, uh, 
when, when things are good and there's no hurricanes coming through Florida and we're making our plan and making our budget and, you know, everyone's a great leader, right? Everyone's doing well. And it's kind of when, you know, seas are calm, everyone, you're not being challenged, everything's fine. But those are the times when you have to be investing in relationships and you have to be reaching out to people because when the storm comes, or we get the hurricane come through, or we have a tough situation where we have to extend park hours, or you know all these different things. People will decide uh, whether they want to participate or not based on how they've been treated, and uh, it's so you're really investing um, the, the you're investing in these people outside of those those times of critical. So when it's critical, you, you you're gonna have to be very blunt with them. And if you haven't built up a relationship, they won't react the way you, you want them to. And so you got to invest in those relationships. And I think a lot of people think, well, you know, obviously you have to build relationships, but it's not something tangible. So you can't, you know, how do you do that? And I was very specific on how I did it. Uh, every time I started meeting, uh, working with a new team, I would uh, sit down with each of my direct reports individually, take them to lunch or breakfast, and we'd have a couple hours of meeting. And I said, the only rule about this meal is, uh, we can't talk about work. We, we're just going to talk about where you're from, how you got to this job, your family, whatever you want to discuss. Because after today, we're only going to talk about work. And then, um, and we'd have that dialogue. And I tell them about my family and my kids, and my background, and how I think about things, my leadership philosophies. And um, so, I think a lot of times we think we know people because we spend a lot of time with them. But in reality, just because we spend time doesn't mean we know them. It just means we're with them a lot. Mm -hmm. So making that personal uh, connection. And then when I'm doing that, you know, I'm role modeling, right? So I'm on one hand, I want to get to know them better, but I'm also by doing that, I'm role modeling the fact I want you to do this with your people. Cause if you do this with your people, you're going to get better results. And if they see this from you, they're going to do that with their frontline cast members and those cast members. So a lot of this is not only, you know, people will, They'll, they'll, they may do a little bit of what you say, but they certainly will follow and look at what you do. And so if you, if you can make this investment of time. And then, um, you know, as I remind people, you, have a, you, you literally have a computer in your pocket now. I mean, you, can, you have this friend. If you have an Apple device, there's Siri, and she can remind you about everything. And so when I talk to somebody and they, uh, you know, they just had their, their granddaughter had a, a baby or they had a, a, something happen in their family, I'll have a discussion um, and I'll ask Siri, I'll say, Hey, remind me in three weeks to follow up and see how they're doing. Cause when you, when you're interacting with 12,000 cast members, you just can't remember everything. And so you, you, you but, um, you want to have and make sure people know that you're, you're, you're a real person. It's on a real level and you can talk to them and you're going to follow up with them. Uh, every time I've had a new boss, I've always uh, made sure I understood crystal clear what their expectations were. And if they didn't tell me, I would ask them or I'd write it down and say, this is what I think you expect. Is this right? Uh, and then every Friday, I'd give them an update on what I'm doing, whether they asked me or not. I'd say, here's what I worked on this week. Here's what I learned. And here's where I need help. And so because, uh, you know, in the busy world today, you don't spend a lot of time with your boss necessarily. And so you can manage all these relationships, but you do have to be proactive and you have to have a plan around it. And um, I, I, I ate in the cafeteria three or four days a week by myself. I'd go to the cafeteria at the Magic Kingdom and sit down with cast members I didn't know or had training flags on. And when I first started doing it, everyone got really nervous. Why is the vice president sitting in a booth with us? You know, <laughs> And then after a while, people realized, well, he just wants to know what's going on. And he really values us. And he wants to learn. And I'd come back with a list of things we had to work on and do. Um, so you have to be one of my, um, my big um, – yeah, everyone talks about what they want their reputation to be, right? You know, I want, I want to be like this. I want to be known for this. And then, but they don't think about, okay, if you want to be known for that, what are you going to go do 
to, to be known for that. And it was really important for me to be known as accessible and, um, and, um, uh, um, engaged with our, with our cast. And so, um, to do that, I had to make sure when people called my office, I returned their call. I had to make sure people were able to get me on my cell phone. I had to be sure that if they wanted to have a meeting, my, uh, secretary didn't block them or was not the gatekeeper, but made it happen. Uh, and I had to be seen a lot in the park people don't see you, they just figure you don't care about what's going on. So I had to schedule time to actually go walk the park. And I had to, I had scheduled time. My assistant would put on my calendar, go walk the park. And no one could block, <laughs> take that time for a meeting. And she'd always, I always told her, if I'm in my office, I don't come out because it's like a hot day or it's raining and I got a bunch of emails. You come in and you kick me out. You go, hey, get out in the park. You got to be out there. The, the reason people don't like to do that is because they don't, okay, what value am I going to get? Am I going to find something that needs to be fixed? Well, you may or may not, but you got to get out, talk to people, and that's that's a great thing about leadership, and it's a lot of fun. So you can manage all this. You just got to be very intentful about how you think about it. Mm-hmm. So think about all the people in your life, and are you talking to them at the frequency you want to, and are you engaged with them? And uh, you can uh, you can think about that. Nice. So what do you have on the horizon right now, and uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Dan? Yeah, so like you mentioned, um, dancockrell.com is my website. Um, I do – uh, when I was at Disney, I started this back in uh, around the millennium, around 2000. I started sending out an article of the week to my team. Mm. It's important to me that people have continual learning. And so um, a lot of that, as we talked about, that's through role modeling and training. But I wanted to have something concrete. So I would go out every week and find an article online or in a, in a magazine, make copies of it, and email it out to my team. Say, hey, here's an article for this week on communication or here's an article on – uh, emotional intelligence, or here's an article on uh, organizing yourself, and so um, they would get it, and I and I that kind of became a tradition. So I did that for 18 years. Every week I'd send an article out, and uh, when I left Disney, I I continued that. So if people go to my website, they can subscribe to my article of the week. It comes out every Friday morning, and I just curate articles I think are very well written. Uh, I just sent this one this past Friday was on. Um, uh, this idea of you know getting rid of physical things and really downsizing and 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 um, getting rid of stuff that you don't need or you don't you know, interact with, uh, and so uh, it's a good way to learn. Uh, my my uh, my emails on there. People can write me a message. My phone number's on there, and um, if I I've, I'm starting a podcast actually uh, in uh, in the next few weeks, and I'm uh, Jody Mayberry is going to be uh, like he does with my dad. He's going to be co-hosting it with me. And so I've been asking people for ideas of stuff they would like me to talk about and address, and I'm slowly building up a list of topics. Um, so I'll be jumping into that. But yeah, dancockrell.com, if anyone wants to uh, send me a note or has any interest in any of the things uh, from a keynote or a, a, a leadership seminars or individual coaching, uh, once again, I just like to take the 27 years of Disney experience and hopefully bring some tips and tricks to people so they can be more effective and not just at work, but I think in their lives because uh, that balance piece is a, is a pretty big deal. If you don't feel good about yourself and happy, it's really hard to do anything else. And I'm a big believer in that. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on the show, Dan. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I hope Brandon is uh, doing better. Yeah, same here. If you like everything you heard in this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 147. There we'll have a link to Dan Cockrell's website where you can book him for your next event to be your keynote speaker or hook him up. Actually, not hook him up. Let him hook you up by being a coach for you in your career. 
There we go. That's what I really meant to say, uh, because he could bring his consulting expertise to help you maybe turn your ship around, uh, get your team out of that rut it may have found itself in. He is a great resource to have by your side. Now, we'll also have the interview we did with Jody Mayberry back in, uh, man, our first year with the podcast. We'll also have the interview we did with Dan's dad, Lee Cockrell, in the show notes as well. So again, beyondtherut.com slash 147 is where you'll find those resources. We'll even throw in a couple of extra books you can purchase and read from. Uh, One is uh, Be Our Guest from the Disney Institute, and the other one is actually Lee Cockrell's book, Uh, creating Disney magic uh, or creating magic and it's 10 common sense lessons to apply on leadership that Disney just made a part of how they do leadership and engagement so there you have that now the best way you can support our show is to share us with a friend a family member a coworker, or that neighbor across the street so if you know somebody who would truly appreciate this episode or benefit from it share it with them let them know that you were thinking about them because you heard this episode and right away you thought, you know what? I know so-and-so would love this. Do that for us. Do it for them. And you know what? We'll be back next week with another episode of Beyond the Rut. Until then, we'd like you to go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.